Hello and welcome to week two of Skeptics and Seekers. I'm Skeptic Dave. Yep, and I'm Dale, representing the skeptic or Christian side. Yep, and uh, we just want to say thank you to everyone for uh, listening to the podcast and reading the blog. We had very exciting numbers for the first week uh, of the podcast, and so that tells us that there are people out there who are listening and actually have some expectations of us now, and that's going to make this week a lot tougher than last week because there was no one uh, listening prior and there were no expectations, and now, now I'm worried. So thanks for that, people, for, uh, for making me worry. Uh, we will try our best to, uh, to not let you down. Absolutely. I agree. I agree 100%. It's, uh, let's just have a good time. It's ultimately, at the end of the day, it's about the substance of having great conversations between each other and hopefully helping people to, to work through some of these uh, you know, tough but important issues. And uh, I, I also want to say that uh, we, we want to thank the people who sent in uh, comments. We have one that we're going to read out a little bit later in the show. Uh, and if you would like to participate in sending us feedback uh, on the show or the blog, uh, how do they how do they go about doing that, Dale? Yep. Uh, so they have a, a, a couple of different ways. So the main way is really through our our website, which is uh, skepticsandseekers.wordpress.com. And uh, from there, you can just hit the contact tab uh, and leave your feedback that way or scroll down to the bottom of the blog and there's a little place for you to leave your reply there. Um, And the next way is uh, through direct email, which is uh, skepticsandseekers at gmail.com. I think I got that right this time, David. (laughs) Yes, yes. Uh, When we were doing this pre-show, he insisted on calling it seekersandskeptics at gmail.com, which... Which lets An you innocence. know he is he is already plotting the takeover. <laughs> oh, it is please. skeptics <laughs> and seekers, people. Skeptics, An innocent and slip of the tongue. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's that's how all coups start. It was just an innocent takeover of the capital. Uh, at okay. any rate, I'll turn it over to uh, to uh, to seeker Dale. Right. So so this week uh, we're actually doing the opposite of what we did. Uh, we're back in our uh, our normal roles. I'm I'm being the Christian or theist and uh, seeker, and David's being the skeptic. So uh, basically, for my first round, I'm going to be talking about what I think the best uh, Christian argument is. And no surprise, I agree with David from last week. I think it is the self-authenticating witness of the Holy Spirit. Um, this basically provides uh, people with acquaintance knowledge or an intuitive form of knowledge that Christianity is true. And because it's such a direct form of knowledge uh, through the subjective witness of the Holy Spirit, uh, I think in terms of the degree of the strength of the belief, this is at the moment, based on the evidence we have, this is the strongest argument that gets us up, can get people up to a hundred percent degree of certainty in terms of Christianity's truth. Um, whereas, you know, the objective evidence is there's always a margin of error or that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, that's, that's basically the main reason I think this, um, this line of evidence is the best. It's the most direct 
And it also has the ability of getting us up to 100% degree of certainty. Okay, so I've got some notes here, but I'm just going to go off script uh, just to make a practical observation. The reason that cannot be the case is because the world is full of Christians who do not have 100% certainty about their position. So if, in fact, the self-authenticating internal witness of the Holy Spirit uh, provided that kind of certainty, more Christians would have it, and they simply don't. Well, that's, that's an assertion, because I, I'm, I'm just saying that it can. I'm not saying that it does in all cases. I, I myself don't have 100% certainty that Christianity is true, um, based on the, the witness of the Holy Spirit. So, um, sure, it, it doesn't work for every, everyone. It doesn't even, I would say it probably doesn't work for most Christians to that, to that degree. But, theoretically, the reason I like this argument is that it can get to that level. Okay, so here's what I'm going to give you there. The self-authenticating internal witness of the Holy Spirit could, in fact, lead you to the truth that you are in contact with the Holy Spirit. But it could also lead you to infinite untruths as well. So just because I can't prove that you are not uh, in some communication with the Holy Spirit, you can't prove it either. Uh, so this is, this is part of the problem. Let me, let me just give you my four point objection, uh, mm-hmm. to, to this as I understand it. So the first, the first thing I, I just find this a, a double oxymoronic notion, self-authenticating internal witness. So uh, if we're talking about authentication in, in computer security terms, or really any type of security terms, authentication it cannot be self-authenticating. There is no authentication that's self-authenticating. Once again, speaking in computer terms, we talk about things that you know, things that you have, and things that you are. So a thing that you know would be a password. Well, you don't, there's no self-authenticating password. You have a password and you punch it into a keypad or, or, or something like that, and that password is checked against an internal uh, code inside the system. And when that has authenticated, then you're authenticated. But it's not self-authenticating. It's externally authenticated. The thing that you have mm-hmm. might be a key. Well, the key is not mm-hmm. self-authenticating. It has to go into a lock or, or maybe a, a USB port on a computer. And it has to be checked against prior information. So again, nothing self-authenticating about that. Even the biometrics, the thing that you are, maybe it's a thumbprint, maybe it's a retina scan or facial recognition. Well, that's only authenticated when it checks against your thumbprint or face scan or retina scan that the computer uh, already has in it. So just showing your face is not authentication. It has to be externally authenticated by something else. All authentication is external authentication. You, You don't... You don't walk through a guard station and say, oh, yes, I, I am David Johnson, and the guard doesn't know you. So he says, well, how do I know that? Well, you don't have to worry about it. I authenticate myself. That's not how it works. And if the guard doesn't know you, he doesn't just get a feeling and then says, okay, I, I self-authenticate that. There is no such thing as self-authentication the way that, that you're trying to use it. One other... One other uh, 
brief observation. Uh, self-witness is also oxymoronic. You don't go to court and call yourself as the witness. Uh, not if you're not if you're smart. Uh, so the prosecution has made their case, and you, as the defense, are going to put up a witness. Well, who's the witness? Well, me. But aren't you the guy who did the crime? Yes. But I I saw myself not do it. So I'm a I'm a witness. Well, that's not how witnesses work. There's no such thing as self-authentication. There's no such thing as self-witnessing. So on, on two fronts, the self-authentication, internal witness. And by the way, do we need to talk about internal? All of this is internal where it can't be seen or scanned uh, or verified by anyone else. And so you can hardly call it authentication or witnessing. Okay. Um, so is that because I think you said you had four points. So I've got three well, down here. Well, actually, I, I, this, think I, I think I may have given you five or six, but I, I just jammed them all okay. together. So. Okay. Um, okay. So I'll, I'll just take take it one, one step at a time. So in terms of uh, yourself being the witness, um, actually, no, it, it's not you that's the witness. It's the Holy Spirit witnessing the truth to you. But the, um, the spirit is witnessing for himself. That's that's correct. But like that's the way testimony works. Like a, when I'm in a court, I'm testifying as a witness. I'm giving my own testimony. I guess it, unless you want to say, okay, so I see what you're saying. It's basically the jury would judge that based on my credibility as a witness. Um, so. Yeah, if, in my argument, if I could establish God the, is a reliable witness, is a credible witness, based on an argument that he's an all-good God, that, that could be one way we could externally authenticate that, okay, well, God, a.k.a. the Holy Spirit, is witnessing to me, he's a credible witness, therefore this is true. But I don't even think I need to do that, because who told you that self-authentication is not allowed? You're just saying that because that doesn't work in normal life, like if I'm going through a security checkpoint. Wait, 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 wait. Just, just say that again. It doesn't work that way in normal life. Of course not. So you're, you're special pleading for a situation where it would work. Uh, so, yeah, I, I would okay, love for you okay. to, to focus on that. Here, Tell me how self-authentication would work in not normal life. Okay. Well, all right. Well, here, let me do this. Self-authentication in normal life then. Um, actually, I, yeah, I think it could happen. I, I could be, I could self-authenticate that I'm feeling angry or sad or happy. This is an incorrigible belief. It's a properly based belief grounded in my experience that I'm actually angry, sad, or happy in that moment. It's just, it's an automatic intuitive form of knowledge. I know that this is the case that I'm feeling this. Um, it doesn't need to be externally authenticated, you know, based on, you know, David, can you confirm, am I frowning or am I smiling or something like that? Um, okay. So, yeah, that would be an example. Sure. And I'll, and I'll give you that. But what you were authenticating uh, are feelings. You are not authenticating. Your self-authentication does not apply to uh, things that are external to your feelings. So, for instance, I mean, if the spirit is self-authenticating and then you are getting that authentication from the spirit. Um, I, I'm, I'm just I'm not sure how that 
is supposed to work. Uh, so how did you how did you determine that the spirit is the spirit of God? So let, let's just start there. Uh, you're you're we're kind of starting with a presumption that there is a spirit of God in you. And just so the reader knows, in the blog, uh, Dale uh, points out in John uh, 3.24 or something like that, uh, there's a, a passage where uh, the uh, John writes something to the effect that you know, it's a very circular argument, that you know uh, that uh, the spirit of God uh, is in you because your spirit uh, authenticates that spirit. In fact, if you, if you address that, I will just look that up and read it uh, real quick. Sure. So here's where you're making the mistake. It's, it's not an argument. There is, there's no circularity. This isn't an argument. I, I clarified that last week. This is a different form of knowledge. There's different avenues to getting knowledge. So th- this is, an intuitive knowledge in the same way that I know that I'm feeling angry or that the law, logical law of non-contradiction is true. I have a hundred percent certainty on that. There's no doubt. I, I know um, on that sort of thing. So hypothetically, if the Holy spirit, if I had a hundred percent certainty or knowledge, given the witness of the Holy spirit, that's, that's knowledge. It, it's, it authenticates itself. You you just know it's an intuitive form of uh, of getting that of knowledge of that tr- of those truths. Okay, so you you said uh, a thing that it's, I have. It's not in my like notes. you yeah, said. I, I, just, I just I just know. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna come back to that. But I, let me go ahead and read this passage so that we don't uh, sure. Get, sure. get too far ahead of our listeners. Uh, it's uh, John. Uh, you've marked down John three twenty four and also John four. Uh, 13. So this, this might be a compilation of that, but it says the one who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. We know by this, that he abides in us by the spirit, uh, by the spirit, by the way, is, is explaining how we know that he abides in us. We know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us by this we know we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. This is, this is what I was calling a very circular argument. Uh, we know that we have the spirit uh, because the spirit abides in us and we know it because our, we have the spirit in us and he abides in us. And we know it because we have the spirit in us. It's it's a very uh, it's a very strange formulation of an argument. Uh, and so when I when I started my question earlier, I one of the places that I probably should have started is how do you know that you have a spirit in you that's not just you? And then if you if you can verify that you have some spirit in you, how do you know that it is? The, the Holy Spirit of God and not some other supernatural being that uh, is highly uh, motivated and able to deceive people uh, by, you know, and things like this. So what, what is your verification that you have some information from the spirit? And then if you want to take all of this as a, a, a set, uh, you were saying that you can verify your own emotions. You know, you can self-authenticate your own emotions and thoughts. Sure, but you're not self-authenticating your own emotions and thoughts. You're self-authenticating something that's supposed to be coming from the spirit. 
So how do you authenticate anything the Spirit tells you through any kind of self-authenticating method? So it's because it's it's it doesn't matter that the Holy Spirit's external to me. It it's no matter what, it's knowledge. If I'm assuming in this example that I have a hundred percent knowledge through the witness of the Holy Spirit that Christianity is true. Well, the same okay. way I have. Give me an example. Break that down a little bit. You say that Christianity is true. Give me an example of something that the spirit, that this internal witness tells you that you know is true because the internal witness tells you so. That, well, that Christianity is true, that Jesus died and rose from the dead is, tr- is a true proposition, for example. Okay, so you don't, you don't, if you didn't get that from history or the Bible or from other people telling you, you, you think you would still know because the Spirit is internally telling you that somehow? Correct, yeah. Okay, so how does that work? How does the Spirit tell you that? Well, it witnesses within your heart, right? Or and Word, word so salad pro, pro, alert, people. I hope you've no. eaten. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> what, is, what does it mean that he t- witnesses to you in your heart? So you're trying to like I'm not sure exactly what you're asking me for, but how how do you, how does knowledge work when with relation to feelings? Then like how how do you know you're actually feeling sad and not just deceiving yourself? Like I, I'm not I'm not sure what you're like. Are you asking me? Does the Holy Spirit say, "Hey, the the resurrection is real" in terms of like? words or something or yes like i'm not sure because, yes because you okay, see, so no, books, books use out. words uh people use words uh you know this is how we know about the resurrection in the first place because it came to us through some sort of words but you're telling me you would know that even if you hadn't been uh exposed to those words because the holy spirit directly oh. witnesses to you so I'm okay, trying to so, figure out how the Holy Spirit witnesses to you. Okay, so so I get what you're saying now. So so no, um, it's it's not that the proposition comes to me um, on its own. Like obviously, I you know the Bible itself says through the presentation of the gospel, the the witness of the Holy Spirit authenticates that message. So it it would be yeah, I've I've read in the Bible. Oh, Jesus died and rose for my sins. Uh, and rose from the dead. And then the Holy Spirit authenticates that within your inner self, that that, that is true. Okay, so it's, it's not an, it's not an argument. Though. How it's, does the witness authenticate it? So I guess it, I would, it's, a, it's more akin to a sensation. This is, this is true. Uh, it's, you know, the Holy Spirit's not speaking to me with words and that sort of thing. It's I read the word of God Um and or whatever it's grounded in some kind of experience usually it's associated with um reading the uh the bible or something that's why christians will say you know just read the gospel of john and see if it see if it rings true so to speak through the witness of the holy spirit um but there are many avenues or experiences in which the properly basic belief that the holy spirit's giving you can be grounded in it's it's not like a one size fits all Okay, um, so would you say that it's possible for a person to get the wrong uh, authentication? So maybe not, they hear... Not if, they, but, but, well, just follow me, though. You're a Christian, and you hear a doctrine, 
and you feel in your heart that you are being uh, authenticated by the Holy Spirit that this is true, is it possible for a person to feel like that about something that is wrong? Not if it's not if we're assuming it's a hundred percent. So, it, in my case, I'll, I'll personalize because I'm not a hundred a hundred percent. Yeah, it, it is possible that I'm deluding myself and that this is just a feeling or something like that. There's a possibility, but if you believe in the degrees of knowledge, which I do, um, I don't think you have to be at a hundred percent before you can call something knowledge. I know there, okay. there's dispute. Granted, but how, yeah. do, how do you know that you're getting the message from the spirit and not from your own delusion or even from a demon? I, this, this is what I'm trying to get at. It, you know, when I was a Christian, uh, I thought that I knew things. I don't know that I ever thought that the spirit gave me any special push in one direction or another, but I certainly thought that I knew things that I decided later I was wrong about. And what what you're telling me is that there is this mechanism that the Spirit uh, authenticates the message somehow, and I'm trying to to get you to tell me how the Spirit authenticates it in a way that distinguishes it from self-delusion or a demonic uh, uh, misauthentication. See, it's, the, what you're asking me is basically, how, how do I know that I know? Um, and yes, because your, your argument is that, you know, because of the self-authenticating, uh, internal witness. So if you know, then you have to, you have to have a way of knowing that, you know, I don't, I don't think it, there's obviously like an infinite regress. If you, well, how do you know that, you know, that, you know, and, and so on and so forth. I, that's not the way knowledge works. It, it terminates at the, if you have true knowledge, it terminates in the same way, like, you know, I could ask, how do you really know one plus one equals two? Or how do you really know uh, that the law of logical law of non-contradiction is true? It's you just, you know, it's an intuitive form of knowledge. This, this is not an argument where I'm deriving objective verification for this claim. It's just, you know, and it terminates at that level. You don't, you don't, have to go well how do you know that you know how do you know that you know that you know and so on and so forth if you know something you know like what what would you say for the law of non-contradiction are you just accepting this as a brute fact for the sake of convenience or would you claim that you actually have knowledge this is true uh i think that i would say it's a brute fact uh for okay uh, for convenience and I doubt that I would have the conversation with anyone who didn't also agree with that. So if you if you had me to try to prove that to someone who didn't have a starting point as a law of non-contradiction, I, I probably wouldn't have the conversation at all. Okay, so it is just a brute fact. You yourself, I don't care what you can show show me that you know or anything. You yourself don't know that the logical law of non-contradiction is true. You don't know that you know that. Uh, I know that I am incapable of having a logical conversation without that starting point. So it's so, purely practical, your, your yes, acceptance as, of it. As a, as a practical matter, it's simply impossible to have a conversation without it. Now, w- whether there is something deeper than the practical for that, uh, I don't know. And if, if you can show me that there's something deeper than that and there's a, some way that that might be wrong, 
I'm open to listening, but you you haven't given me any reason to doubt uh, the law of non-contradiction. And so I continue to use it because it continues to work. Okay. I, don't, I don't think I have okay. to be a deep philosopher to uh, explain the utility of using that. Okay. Okay, so that's where we, we would differ because I, I actually claim to have not, I know this is true and it doesn't make sense. I can't say answer or, or show you uh, how do I know that I know. It's just, it's a direct intuitive form of, of knowledge. So that's, that's really the terminus of the question. Otherwise, you know, you, we could go on forever with an infinite regress. Right. And I don't, and I don't I mean? want to do that. I'm, I'm going to give you the last word on, on this point because it's, it's your positive point to make. But I, I would make two quick observations. You just know is not an argument. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a thing that can, can get you very far. And the other thing is there, mm-hmm. there are plenty of other people. We don't have to go to other religious groups. There are plenty of other Christians who disagree with you on, on many things, and they also just know. And they got their knowledge from what they claim to be the same spirit. And the only thing you can do is debate with them about whether they are really communing with the, the right spirit or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Number one, I've, I've stated this is not an argument. It's it's not. That's not the way properly basic beliefs work. So, absolutely, you're correct on that. I would agree. Um, this is a form of acquaintance knowledge. It's just a direct, intuitive, you know, and that's it. Um, the second aspect of okay, how do like how does the what does the Holy Spirit attest to? Because obviously Christians have different opinions on various topics. And, you know, for that, you need to determine what, what is it that the Holy Spirit attests to. And I think it's just the essential uh, Christian beliefs. So, yeah, no Christian that I know of um, denies the resurrection of Jesus. That's, this is an essential belief. Maybe we have different opinions on uh, how the end of the world's going to take place. Are, are, you, are you familiar with John Shelby Spong? Uh, yeah. Okay. Would you call him a Christian? Um, so I th- I'm trying to remember a debate that I had. Does, is he the one that said that um, if when someone asked him, if you go back 65 million years ago, was there a God? Um, objectively, he would say no. Um, I'm trying to remember if that was him or John Dominic Crossan. Well, it's it's you know, the type of thing that Sh- John Shelby Spong would say. So in that case, no, he's not a Christian. If he okay. if he denies the objective reality of God. So yeah. one of one of the ways you can get at saying uh, all Christians agree on the basic Christian faith is to just unchristianize anyone who doesn't agree with that. I, I think that's a little bit ad hoc, <laughs> and it's also a little bit ad hoc to de- to decide that you know what those basics are. You see, I come from a denomination uh, whose whose purpose the, the the whole idea was that we we're going to reduce the Bible to uh, fundamental uh, Christian truths upon which all reasonable people could agree. Well, okay. what we ended up with was just another denomination. And what the founders were trying to do was end denominationalism by coming up with the things that all reasonable people could agree on. This, this okay. type of thing has never resulted in a thing that all reasonable people could agree on. Okay. All right. Yeah, I think, I think we're sort of straying into a topic. It, 
in itself and one that we've actually uh, conversed on before. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to say fair enough point that that needs to be addressed. Um, but yeah, I, I think for right now, let's just let you have the last word on that, that you raise a valid point and maybe segue into your next, uh, your strongest reason for atheism. Okay. If that sounds uh, good to you. It sounds, it sounds good to me. My, my, my knuckles are getting sore from hitting you, you in the jaw. So I'm going to give it a break for a minute. <laughs> so. No, I, I don't think. Uh, okay. <laughs> Do, if you want, I, I will, I will answer it if, if you really want me to, but <laughs> no, no, I don't No. <laughs> okay. I would like, I would like to go unchallenged on that, on that ridiculous statement. Um, sincere disbelief. So I, I actually think that this is the strongest position, uh, for the, the atheist. And it is not just a defensive maneuver. So there are lots of defensive maneuvers where you can say, well, you can't prove me wrong. And, and you can sit there and defend all day from that position. So, Sincere disbelief is a defensive maneuver in that sense, but it's also a positive argument. And so mm-hmm. I want to I want to address uh, you know what I what I didn't address in the article too much is why it's also a positive argument and not just a defensive maneuver. So um, it, just a, just a few points, and I'll, I'll rattle them off real quick, and uh, you know you can take any one or or all of them that, that you want. Um, so the first one is, if faith is a gift of God, there should be no disbelievers. Now, we have disbelievers, and we have uh, Christians who say that faith is not gained by something that you do. Like grace, it is a gift of God. And I don't know where you stand on this. So before I move to my next point, where do you stand on faith as a gift of God uh, question? Yep. Uh, so I, I believe it. it. It's the biblical position. I, I don't think anyone could come to faith uh, without God's uh, enablement through the Holy Spirit. I, I think God plays a necessary um, and sufficient role in saving people. Um, so I, I would be a mon- on the monergist side, even though I'm a modernist, Molinist um, and not a Calvinist. Um, but that said, there are certain conditions, and that's where... In order to, you know, like you have to have faith and repentance. And that, that's the human element to receive that gift, if that makes sense. Uh, okay. Well, so I would say that you, you, you make my job easier by taking that position. <laughs> because uh, if faith is a gift of God, uh, then everyone should have faith. And in, in anyone who doesn't have faith has the recourse of saying, well, I don't have faith because God has chosen not to give it to me. And you don't, you don't have any further recourse with that person. So the, the, next, uh, the next way that it's uh, a positive position is that we cannot force ourselves to believe things. We can want to believe things. And there, there are a lot of mechanisms within the human mind that determine whether we believe something or whether we don't believe something. Some of those are mechanisms within our minds. Some of it's uh, nurture and the things that we grew up with. But the thing is, none of us choose what we actually believe or not. The best we can do is choose what we want to believe. We can choose what we study. 
But whether we believe it or not is is a thing that I think is subconscious for us. You you can give me your best evidence, and if I don't believe it, I just don't believe it. So an example, a way to demonstrate that is if I were to tell you there are other gods besides Jehovah. Now, I, I don't know how I can make you believe that, but let's try this. What if I put a gun to your head and then tell you I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to torture your family uh, un- unless you believe that there are other gods behind, besides Jehovah? Now do you believe? You're, you're asking me? I am asking you uh, because I've got your family right here. No. Uh, no. no. I, <laughs> no I, I, still I, I've told you. I agree. I, yeah. By the way, I don't have your family. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good to know. <laughs> so, but, um, but yeah, I'm just no, trying I, to demonstrate I've, I've the point. You, I, There's nothing that I can do to make you believe a thing that you fundamentally don't believe. Okay, so, yeah, I think I agree with what you're saying there, David. Um, we can't just flip a switch and force ourselves to believe something that we don't. Um, but that said, um, as you know, I, I do believe that there are certain conditions uh, that the human has to fulfill. So, you know, things like being open-minded, actively, sincerely seeking after the truth and that sort of thing. Um, I don't want to get too much into that because I know that's coming up in a future blog posts. Um, but yeah, you could, so you can put yourself into a position whereby uh, you could change your beliefs. And there was one last point that you mentioned, and I don't want to let that go because uh, I mentioned that I was a monergist. And it's, it's not true that God would... Okay, everyone should be a believer then. It, it's not a Calvinistic or a determinist, you know, God zaps you and you believe. That's not, that's not what I believe is the case. Um, I believe the role of the Holy Spirit is, is an innate, it plays an enabling role. So it, it puts everyone in a position where they have the ability to choose to believe or not based on, you know, whatever, they, whatever evidence they have or, you know, their, their willingness to have actual faith and repentance, that sort of thing based on their, their meeting those conditions that I'm uh, mentioning. But if there's no enablement, then I believe the Bible's pretty clear that no one would be saved. Okay, well, so to me, that just sounds like um, if, you, if you have faith, then you can give credit to the Holy Spirit then. And if you don't have faith, you take the blame for it. So I don't, I don't, um, I'm not, I've never understood how that worked uh, and I, I still don't understand how that works, but it, it could be that uh, some of our listeners will explain it to me uh, in the mailbag. And uh, so I, I look forward to that explanation, but I, just, just to follow up, let me, let me uh, give just a, a couple of more bullet points. Uh, because yes, there is, there's the idea that you put yourself in a position of belief, but that argument doesn't really work for someone who in fact has put themselves in a position for belief. Uh, in my case, uh, I was a Christian for, uh, until I was 40, which was almost 40 years of my life. I was, I was really born in the church. I was, uh, started very young. So uh, the fact of the matter is, uh, there are a lot of people who are Christians, have been Christians for uh, a long time, and uh, they, they have tried. Uh, a lot of, lot of ex uh, what I call former Christians, uh, come out 
not not because they didn't sincerely try, but because they did sincerely try. Uh, and, and in fact, it is it is the answer to Justin Brierley's uh, off-presented challenge of what would it take to get you to believe, Mr. Atheist, because really it seems like you're just trying to carve out a position where you will never believe. Well, the fact of the matter is that is not true. It's a false accusation. We have tried to believe. Uh, you know, we've we've been... Uh, trying for a very long time, and we've tried pretty much every suggestion that every Christian uh, has thrown at us. And so, at this point, it's the balls in the other court. What would it take to get us to believe? I have no idea. Uh, but you can't say that we didn't put ourselves in a position uh, of of uh, of trying to believe. And uh, finally, once once uh, the Christian acknowledges that sincere disbelief is possible, I'd say it's game over at that point. I actually believe that sincere disbelief is such a strong argument that the Christian is almost forced to say, it's your fault if you don't believe. Because if it's not my fault that I don't believe, then it's God's fault. And and the Christian can't really say that and so you have to say, well, it's unreasonable not to believe. And most Christians aren't willing to go there. So the moment you acknowledge that disbelief is a reasonable position for a person to take, I'm not entirely sure what else you can argue at that point that would put the onus on the non-believer. So that's, these are reasons uh, why uh, sincere disbelief is not just a defensive position, but a strong offensive position as well. And for that reason, I think it's the best atheist argument out there okay um perfect so i'll give here's here's uh my unique take in terms of god's responsibility so number one uh straight up i agree with you 100 percent that it is possible um for there to be an honest skeptic um i myself was one of them i i just you know prior to May 5th, I, I was not a believer in Christianity, but I, I was meeting, to the best of my knowledge, I was meeting all of the uh, conditions in terms of being open-minded, actively seeking out the truth, and being willing to obey once I discovered that truth. Um, however, the, the best response I can think of is God's responsibility to reveal the truth to you or any other honest skeptic, as we're calling them, is it's... Uh, any time before the consequences of non-belief uh, would be irreversible or take effect, or in, in a Christian context, that you would be unsaved. So, sure, you okay, great. You were an honest seeker in the past. I hope that you're you're still open-minded, regardless of how much you think you know or anything like that. You your duty is to remain open-minded to any information that you know you come across now and for the rest of your life. Um, as well, you know, always be open to truth. That That's one of your conditions to meet. And then so long as God reveals his truth to you before you die or before that, that point, then he's met his obligation. So maybe you haven't been converted yet. Just like, you know, why, why didn't God show me the truth of Christianity one year ago or two years ago when I was in the midst of studying um, as opposed to May 5th of this year? Um, or why did God wait a couple of years to show himself to Paul on the road to Damascus? Why didn't he do it one year after Jesus or something? And 
the answer to that, we could have any number of reasons. Under a Molinistic framework, we can just say it brings up the best of all possible worlds in a, in a world where David doesn't become a Christian until he's 75 or something like that. Um, so that would be my best attempt at why doesn't God reveal to a person the instant they're an honest skeptic or, you know, at one time versus a later time in their life? I don't, uh, I'll turn it over to you. I don't know what you make of that defense. Well, look, as, as much as I would love to give you the last word on that, it just ignores the very practicalist and obvious rebuttal that millions upon billions of people die never having been given that gift of faith. They die honest skeptics. So uh, you can say, well, as, as long as you're drawing back breath, there's still time. But there are plenty of people who are no longer drawing breath who were honest. And so you're, you're still forced into that same trap of saying, well, all of the dead, all the people who died skeptics, well, at, at the end, it was their fault. Uh, because God would have had to, to you know, open up the gates of information before they died in time for them to to avoid the consequences of disbelief. And so you, you're still stuck with that very unfavorable position. Okay, well, I, I guess I don't believe your assertion. Um, I, I don't believe that there's any honest skeptics that died and God didn't reveal himself to them in time. Now, one thing as, that, as a call... That is exactly what you have to believe, and that is exactly the point that I'm getting at. That at the, okay. the end of the day, you cannot believe in an honest skeptic any more than you can believe in a Yeti. Okay. So, yeah, I, I guess under that characterization, then, yeah, I would deny that there is an honest skeptic uh, that reaches the point of no return, let's say, um, where God failed to meet his obligation to reveal the truth to them. Yeah, I, I would deny your premise that there are any such honest skeptics under that definition, then. So I, I can guarantee you this will be revisited, but uh, don't, don't forget uh, those email addresses, people. Uh, I, think, I, think you, <laughs> so I think you might be getting a, a few of them there. Just a quick reminder. Uh, no uh, skepticsandseekers at gmail.com. Address those to Dale. Uh, we'll, we, we'll read them out next week. Um, okay. So uh, we want to take a look in our mailbag, and uh, we got something from someone who says his name is Jim. So Jim, if that's your real name, uh, let's just say Jim did not come through the regular channels. He did not go to uh, skepticsandseekers at uh, .wordpress.com. He did not click on okay. contacts and leave feedback. He did not click on blog and leave a comment. He didn't even go to skepticsandseekers at gmail.com. Uh, so the way he got this message in, uh, almost like Cold War era spy technology, I don't even want to talk about it lest anyone else try it, uh, but we do want to uh, read what Jim had to say. First, congratulations on your first podcast. The conversation between David J. and Dag is, in some ways, more intimate and open than the unbelievable podcast, so fills an important void, at least in my opinion. But hey, I'm weird. Uh, look, Jim, I just want to say you're doing a couple of things wrong there. First of all, you're comparing us to unbelievable. 
Unbelievable has one of the greatest show hosts around in Justin Briley. So this, this is a mistake already. And Unbelievable is a very clean and polished, well-practiced show. We've only had one show. This is our second show. We don't know what we're doing. We should not be compared to Unbelievable. This sets up a false comparison. What you should be comparing us to are two uh, Neanderthals in the jungle in a cave trying to talk to each other over coconuts. Now, compared to that, we're awesome. So uh, we, we, need to, we need to lower the expectations uh, instead of raise them. By the way, if you do um, want to help us rise to prominence, go to iTunes, the podcast section, iTunes, look us up, give us five stars. Unfortunately, iTunes will not let you give fewer stars than five stars for this podcast. Don't worry about whether that's true or not. Just trust me on it and go ahead and give us five stars there. Uh, so, Jim, lower your expectations and then we'll make better comparisons. Secondly, uh, Jim, I would say if you're comparing us to Unbelievable on our first podcast, you are not weird, you are drunk. And if you would like to drunk comment to us, please send us a comment at skepticsandseekers at gmail.com. So look, before we before we go away, I, I want to throw this segment in uh, just just looking at a headline in the news. And I just want to say I'm going to, th- I'm going to toss out a headline that I found on uh, Premier Christian Radio. I didn't even read the article. I, I don't care what the article says. I, I wanted to use this as kind of a a closing statement, if you will. And so I'll go first and uh, then I'll let uh, Dale close us out uh, with his closing statement. But I, I, it, it is a good reminder that these types of debates that we have are not just uh, intellectual meanderings. There are real consequences in the real world for thinking certain ways about how the world works. And so this headline is... Honduran bishop accused of sexual misconduct resigns. So um, I see this type of headline a lot in the world. And it's all over the world. So it's not just Honduras. It's, it's everywhere. And it's every denomination. When, when I was uh, in, in a leadership position in the church... I saw it all the time uh, among people that uh, I called friend. And, and what, I'm, what I'm trying to, to get at is that leadership in a spiritual organization is not any better or more righteous uh, than leadership in any other organization. And one of the reasons for that, I think, is that uh, Christians have this worldview that says things like inner witness of the Holy Spirit. Uh, there's, there's a self-authenticating inner witness. Uh, you know, my spirit goes out to your spirit and I can see that you are a person of God. Things like that. This type of worldview actually helps them choose bad leaders because there is no magic uh, that you get from the spirit. You get you get bad leaders who do bad things to good people, 
And I think that it helps everyone if you take more of a skeptical view and less of a supernatural uh, slash metaphysical slash religious view uh, of the world. And I, I think that if we did that, we would see fewer headlines such as Honduran Bishop accused of sexual misconduct resigns. And that's the view from the skeptic. Excellent. All right. Um, so yeah, I, I took a quick scan through the, the article and um, yeah, I think I would largely agree with you that um, the, the issue of picking our leadership and the sexual misconduct within the church um, can be an issue. I mean, we that's not a role of the Holy Spirit. We, we don't have you know, infallible judgment in all matters. We, we don't always know. Sometimes we misjudge people um, and, and put people in leadership that aren't the right person. Um, so, so yeah, that's what I would say on the issue of leadership. Um, in terms of the, the bishop uh, being discharged or resigning, I, I definitely think that's the right course of action. I mean, it, it's a strict rule. Celibacy is part, of, part and parcel of uh, becoming a Catholic bishop and priest from my understanding so I think the right course of action is is good he was engaging in, in sin with uh, homosexual behavior so, so yeah I, I think the right course of action was taken um, I'm not sure if there should be any legal ramifications because it, it, it does say that it was um, with adults um, so I'm not sure if there's any issue of um, you know consent or anything it wasn't really gotten. It didn't really get into that in the article, but yeah, that's that's my hot take on that. Uh, that's the that's the view of the seeker, and um, yeah, I just wanted to say thank thank you guys so much for for listening in to this week. <laughs>